This is Women in STEM Career and Confidence, the podcast for scientific and professional women who want to restore confidence, make meaningful impact, and balance the things and people that mean most to them. I'm Dr. Hannah Roberts, and I'll be sharing with you insights and inspiration into the mindset and skill set to help you navigate your career and lead powerfully. When we are anxious and overwhelmed, unfortunately, the situation doesn't stay linear. It gets worse over time. In today's episode, we talked to Dr. Kira Keating, postdoc at Glasgow University, about her coaching journey and how a 70-hour week was affecting her health and how she set boundaries with her time, as well as people, to manage the diagnosis of endometriosis and fibromyalgia. She also discusses the challenges she faced surrounding her confidence and the application of non-confrontational conversation templates, such as saying no, asking for what you need, and boundary setting were invaluable. And Kira is now a big advocate for leaning into your network and supporting yourself through coaching and therapy when needed. I'm so excited for you to hear this conversation, so let's dig in. Welcome, Kira, to the session today. Hi. Hi. I'm so excited to be able to talk to you and share some of your story with everybody. But first of all, can you just give us a brief introduction to yourself? Yeah. Uh, So I'm Kira. I'm Irish, living in Glasgow in Scotland and working as a postdoctoral research associate at the University of Glasgow and working on kind of microbial communities um, at the moment in soil um, but I had been working on kind of wastewater systems before that and yeah I have two cats that's <laughs> the personal side maybe what are the cats names we need to know uh Barry um because we couldn't change her name and then Bimini as in <laughs> the drag queen and <laughs> And this is how you get to know who the real people are when you ask Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, thank you. I would love to hear a little bit more about your career and the decisions that you've made along the way. But first of all, can you tell us where you were in your career and what was going on for you just before the lead up to starting coaching together? Yeah, so I think... We started in 2019, maybe. Oh, wow. I just, I just recorded another podcast earlier today with Verena. So if you've not yeah. listened to that one, listen to that one as well. And she said it was three years ago in three days when we first started working together. <laughs> and I totally went, I missed a year somewhere. I thought it was two years. How is that? Yeah, no. So I think I think what happened was I met you through the Viznet project yes and then had done certain bits of training and then maybe started my own coaching with you in 2020 that makes sense yeah Yeah. I did four sessions or more than four for a community of women in an EPSRC funded project called Biznet where we started first of all to look at um LinkedIn and how to leverage your um network in order to and sort of accelerate your career and then we did an in-person personal development program as well with this um really lovely group of 
of early career researchers. It was amazing. Yeah, no, and I think that was, it came at such a good time or maybe even like a bad time. So I think it had been a postdoc four years at that point or maybe even five years. Yeah. And my mom had died the year before. And I think I just felt like, what am I doing? Where am I going? And then I don't think I'd even heard the term imposter syndrome till those sessions with Visna. And then I was like, oh, wait a second. <laughs> hey, that sounds just like me. Yeah. <laughs> and then just, yeah, I don't think I even thought of, yeah, career coaching or anything like that before then. And yeah, it really helped me, I think, take control of, of where I was going. Yeah, and I, I appreciate that as well, because um, I remember in my particular journey, I was feeling quite stuck in my career, like there was no really good way forward and yeah. not really knowing how to take ownership or be proactive around it, because not really knowing how to figure out what's next and kind of then just bumbling along, really. But it doesn't stay linear. It actually gets worse over time rather than this linear trajectory. Yeah. Is that something that resonates with you? Completely. And um, I guess even where I was um, in the department, um, like higher roles came up, but I was being passed over for them. Um, and it's nothing against the, the old department, but I think I became maybe a little bit of like old reliable, <laughs> you know, and I just wasn't doing things that were pushing my career forward forward as well I was you know saying yes to everything to to be helpful and you know that felt really great and rewarding that such and such needs to come to me to do this um but actually it was not to the benefit of my like yeah career I don't think I learned a lot but I think definitely I probably would have made some changes earlier on had I been more strategic or would have known how to be more strategic at the time. Absolutely. I think we can often get stuck into that proving cycle and seeking approval, particularly from those in more senior positions to us. But it often is at the detriment of our own careers in the process. So when we started working together, what was it that you were really hoping to get out of the coaching? Yeah, I, I can't remember the exact thing that I had said to you, but I think I was so overwhelmed and just wanted to be less busy <laughs> and less overwhelmed and less, yeah, I think just calmer and more in control. And yeah, my confidence was really low. I, you know, I was second guessing everything I was doing. You know, I was, I think, yeah, I was really emotional as well. I probably like, yeah, I think I cried in a lot of our sessions. <laughs> but just, I think I was wound up so tight and I had a lot of personal stuff going on as well. And I think just everything was too much, you know? And yeah, I think you really helped me take a step back and actually realize how much I was doing in all areas and it wasn't really that I was stuck but more so I was just doing so much I couldn't even see yeah, yeah. there's a real anxiety that comes with overwhelm yeah. I would say. like you described it as that being wound too tightly yeah 
coaching is a little bit like unraveling a ball of wool where you just kind of pull up a strand and over time it just all starts to unravel and come clear so we often talk about getting a lot of clarity from coaching in the process as well um but yes a huge amount of overwhelm and there's usually a red thread or a theme that runs through all of the reasons why we're doing that in the first place so I'm kind of putting you on the spot here yeah it's fine (laughs) did you actually get to the bottom of what it was all about yeah and you know and I I found it hard to come to terms with in one respect so I think the overall thing was like just feeling like I wasn't good enough I had to keep proving myself you know I kept feeling like I was really stupid and you know I looked back at like you know you know my childhood and I was like constantly encouraged like you know there was no point where I was told by anybody in my family or anything like that that I wasn't good enough or anything like that and I think losing mom probably made it a little bit worse in that you know she was the person that I could go to for like reassurance or who would always tell me I was amazing so I had lost that person but I think a lot of it was realizing that you know it came from academia I think you know the you know not even you know like my PhD supervisor was amazing it was others you know and all of that kind of built up that I got so nervous about you know speaking I you know if somebody made a look at what I was saying in a meeting I was like oh god they're gonna say something or you know and it was maybe coming from like a working class family as well that I didn't really recognize till later the different like parts of academia the like social cues or you know I think at the start as well I maybe said what I thought more so and you know not realizing that maybe that's not when you're meant to speak in a meeting and eventually learned that response to just not say anything or be nervous or just say yes to whatever you know in doing so not actually being able to contribute your actual talents and value yeah to everybody so it's a real shame that the environment within which you found yourself in wasn't actually conducive to being the best version of yourself or bringing your best version day in, day out. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's quite easy to look back on it now, but I think it was maybe not necessarily a gradual process, but it did seem, and I've heard people talk about this before, that the further you along go along in your PhD and postdoc, the less you feel like you know things. It's like, Oh, yes. <laughs> always felt like I was losing confidence when I should have been, you know, more sure of myself, you know. It kind of makes sense, though, to me, in my own, yeah. like, crazy logic, that the more that you niche into a particular area and the, the further you go along with that research, the more you realise that you don't know and the, the more you don't yeah. know about anything, actually. Yeah. <laughs> completely need to uh correlate to a lack of confidence yeah Yeah. attach the two things together yeah yeah and I think like with the coaching work and you know working on myself have really uncoupled those things 
So now if I get feedback, I don't think it's a slight on me. If something comes back red, I'm happy that I got lots of feedback. Yeah, you know, it's a gift. Like, Someone's taking yeah. the time to to provide that feedback. I get that. Yeah. So I've yeah, I've definitely, you know, not taking it as a personal slight anymore. Whereas before I probably would have, you know, seen something was all red, had a little cry and then came back to it. So yeah. yeah. And I know like lots of people do it as well. It's yeah. Amazing. Um, one of the things that I wanted to pick up with you, particularly around overwhelm, is making sure that we get the right time and energy secrets in place. Not sure yeah. secrets is the right word, <laughs> but um the right kind of systems and processes in place to support ourselves because trying to take those other steps in unpicking everything that was going on with confidence and self-esteem is a really difficult when we are exhausted and overwhelmed. So the first step, I think, in your um, kind of sequence was actually around creating some time and space to be able to think about the other stuff and move forward in confidence and career. Can you tell us a little bit about your particular um, journey, the tools that have helped you the most when it comes to finding more balance? And I know it's an ongoing journey. <laughs> it is for me too, as people who have yeah. strong pushes will know. Yeah. It's a lifelong journey. <laughs> yeah. And that's probably one of the things that I still struggle with, but I'm at least I have the tools now. I think before, you know, I didn't, know how to tackle anything um probably one of the biggest things was actually the overwhelm first aid because I did that and then I think we spoke about how many projects I had and I realized that I was working on like 13 different projects or 13 projects papers side papers and I just went okay there's no actual way that any of this can you know certain things are more important but I was giving everything equal importance um, and my stuff less of an importance if that makes sense my stuff was put in the back burner so that yeah so others could... to fill up on the requirements for other people because if we're trying to prove ourselves everyone else's priorities come first yeah yeah and I know for you it was really important in terms of your own health to be able to yeah. step up and set boundaries and say yeah. no and actually push back at times. Yeah. And that's one of the things like I'm really glad that we'd done the coaching at that time. Cause I had start, you know, I had started to pull back. Yeah. I'd also changed jobs. But I think I'd really pared back, but also my health was still getting worse. And I do think I would have hit a really bad burnout on top of being really unwell had I not done the coaching mm. um but I think yeah it was that stepping back from things and realizing that yeah my inbox doesn't control me I don't have to respond straight away I can plan out my day how it suits me Um, probably one of the biggest things was that yeah batching for energy mm-hmm. um, and just realizing that yeah there's days where I'm not going to have as much energy or if I have a really busy day one day you know I might need to take it easier the next day or not have as many meetings in the next day and um, I think that has been 
probably one of the bigger things. Um, but yeah, I guess people listening to this don't know, but so I have endometriosis and fibromyalgia, um, both diagnosed, well, endometriosis and adenomyosis diagnosed just, I was like one of the last surgeries before everything stopped before the pandemic. Wow. I was really lucky. <laughs> um, but then I needed another surgery and that I just had that in January. But yeah, my health has been, yeah, taken a bit of a downturn, but also has forced me that I can't, that pusher aspect or of this, I'm so busy, I have to do all of this. I mm -hmm. physically can't, <laughs> you know. If I, I can't, I think before we started the coaching, I'd been working until 11 at night or mm -hmm. one o'clock in the morning and then getting up and, you and know. You work at nine o'clock in the morning. It's great. Yeah, and just, and not seeing any output for it really. But, you know, I think now I physically can't do that. So the whole system of how I work has to change or had to change and. Yeah, a lot more organized. Yeah. Yeah, but also it's being able to say that I personally am important enough to make the changes for. Yeah. And yeah. it's that pairing back, like you said, even though you were working all the hours, it didn't necessarily equate to productivity. No. <laughs> <laughs> Which is crazy. You think if I just work longer and harder, yeah. Um, I will be rewarded, things will happen, you know, but there comes a point where actually it becomes detrimental and nothing really improves. And then you go in the next day and you're already tired and therefore you're like, oh, well, I'll just stay a bit later to catch up on the thing. And then yeah. it just snowballs and suddenly yeah. there is no weekend. There yeah. are no evenings. It is just work all the time. Yeah. And then you can't see the proper reason behind it you're just yeah you know like a conveyor belt just I need to do this 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 and yeah so I guess my question for you is I know that academic culture we often see this and it's almost like um everybody's doing it so I have to do it too a little bit I know that you've had to pair back and you've had to do things differently and you've also had a shift in in roles as well but uh, I want to ask the question, is it possible in academia to have a work-life balance? What do you think? I think had you have asked me that a few years ago, I would have said no. <laughs> <laughs> but now I definitely think you, you can. And I think I'll probably get a bit self-righteous here, but I think that's why, you know, we have the unions and things like that, because from what I can see, it's part of it is down to the culture, but there's also an understaffing issue, you know, and, you know, your PIs are overwhelmed. So they, you know, ask postdocs to step in. Postdocs are on insecure contracts. So they're overwhelmed and they're trying to get a fellowship to do this. And they're trying to balance so many different things that it seems nearly impossible that you could do that in a 37 hour week. But I think if you're strategic, it is possible. But then, you know, I've definitely worked crazy hours and sometimes I've had it pay off. So it's it's really difficult. But I don't want that to be the way forward. 
Yeah. I want, you know, people to be able to take sick leave, to be able to leave at a reasonable time. And, you know, it becomes more inclusive then. It does, because it's not just about the impacts on ourselves. Often we think, well, I, I'll just keep doing it. It's fine. But there are other people that are coming through behind watching every move that we're making and emulating it and copying it, thinking that's the only way to be able to survive in this kind of environment. Yeah. And that needs to change as well. Yeah. So, I, yeah. And I think it it's hard because in academia, you know, it's not just your own work. There's project deadlines, there's other deadlines. So part of what I found is like rewarding myself a little bit. So, you know, I do have a collaborator who, you know, only has the time say in an evening or weekend but I make sure that I try and ring friends that time back or know that maybe the day before I won't I'll work and take off a little bit earlier knowing that the next day will be a little bit late so it's like I don't know maybe like bargaining with yourself (laughs) so that you don't reach that point of like overwhelmed and having to fit it all in in crazy amount of hours because I don't think I don't think that people that say that they work 60 70 hours a week are necessarily achieving more than people that are more strategic and unless they're in meetings all the time because then (laughs) (laughs) which can often be the case yeah yeah So where we've got to so far is that you were in the postdoc for a long period of time, like the five to six years, things weren't going so well, but then you started to work on your time and energy and health became really important in order for you to even continue in academia. So can you tell us about the move that you made from that postdoc to where it is that you are now? Yeah, so postdoc I was in, I think the grant was coming to an end and I was trying to figure out different options and a lectureship had come up in the department and then I wasn't I think I wasn't I didn't even pass the internal sift and I think that really stung but actually it was probably the best thing that ever happened is like because we were doing the coaching and I had been speaking to somebody in Amsterdam um, about postdoc there and I think just realizing that I had options and I remember explaining to you the different plans that I had, or I think I just said, I remember. (laughs) And I felt so overwhelmed by all the different ways that things could go. And you're just like, no, well, you have a plan A, B, C. And it was so simple, but I was like, oh, wait, yeah, I do. (laughs) It doesn't need to be this frantic thing. It can be just you have in your head what you will do next. Um, but then the feedback that I was getting from microbiology lectureships that I was applying to was that I was too engineering focused and the engineers thought I was too microbiology focused. I so, falling into disciplinary gap. Yeah. Um, so then this postdoc came up that was still at Glasgow that was on bacterial um, pathogen but really looking at soil microbial community dynamics and um, potato black leg disease. And it was a big interdisciplinary project. And I just kind of went, 
okay, that would be amazing. I could do that. Um, and then move. Well, I think you had helped me a little bit maybe with the interview. I remember we did this, uh, um, was it a big f- list or something? Oh, wow. Yes, the swearing <laughs> list. <laughs> what, what is this list? <laughs> so essentially put down all the reasons why I was great and why they would want me for the job and why you are a big f- deal. Yes. <laughs> um. So yeah, that I think, yeah, I think just with a lot of positive reinforcement, my confidence was a lot better. But I think, I think it was strange because I think people kept telling me I wasn't confident mm. and it wasn't that I didn't feel confident. I guess I was so conscious of people telling me I wasn't confident. Whereas as soon as I started getting like, oh yeah, this is great. That's good. It's like, that just kind of went away a little bit. I do like, yeah. I wonder, is it just that? Yeah. I think coming from like an Irish family as well, like it's probably similar to Scottish, but it's like, you know, a little bit self-deprecating or you don't go on about yourself too much. So I think sometimes like, even if I was being positive, it felt like I was being a little bit negative. misunderstood. Yeah, or like what I was saying was actually a little bit negative without realizing that it was. And the issue is that our brains actually hear that and then compound that and make us less than because we are yeah. doing that little bit of a self-deprecating less than in order to kind of soften the blow. Oh, I don't want to blow my own trumpet, so I'll make it a little bit deprecating in the process. Like, yes. <laughs> get the humor um but it also has this sort of negative consequence whereas when we start to focus on actually where have I added value and getting that cumulative feedback internally and externally for those things really breeds that self-confidence cycle yeah nothing can really break because you know it to be true inside it's not reliant upon other people yeah an internal process for yourself yeah yeah, and I think like changing that kind of negative self-talk as well just yeah been really helpful. But also the group that I'm in at the moment, um I think I think I'm one of the only microbiologists. So I get a lot of, you know, well, oh, this is amazing. What you've done here is really good. And, you know, that's great. You link in the project this way and just yeah, lots of praise which I know you think that you don't need but actually yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah and maybe it's the first time that I've had a PI that's a woman as well which is interesting and how are you finding that um really good like I think she's very thorough very clued into kind of where I was coming from before and yeah just very able to like speak honestly about things as well um and she's very I guess maybe because um you know she's well established in her career but she's very focused on where I'm going career-wise you know and everybody on the project seems to be very conscious of where I'm going career-wise which I did get the same in engineering but I it's strange yeah it's just a different environment maybe because it's more biologists so I feel bit easier to speak the same language maybe 
Yeah, maybe. Or maybe yeah. just showing up differently. Probably, yeah. <laughs> Probably showing up as a different person. <laughs> Engineering or looking, going, what? Is that even cute? <laughs> and you've been talking there about, okay, I'm being really open and honest about where mm-hmm. it is I'm heading and my I've got a PI who's supporting me in my endeavours. So where is it that you're heading? Do you have the clarity on that now? Yeah, so I think... I think before I was very much like, oh, I don't know, will I go to industry or because I can't do too many postdocs and I can't do this. But yeah, I think I really I do want to have a career in research. Um, so, yeah, I would like to have my own research group. But I have noticed that, you know, a lot of people that have research groups and can end up moving to academia or to industry especially lately. So I'm very conscious that it doesn't have to be an and or it can be you can, you know, you can do both if if things change. I tend to think about these things now as more chapter missions. Yeah. Chapter mission is to get the lectureship and to continue to grow your research group. But another chapter mission, once that's happened, I'm sure it will happen. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Another chapter mission could be that you decide to do something else. And another chapter mission could be you could decide to go and make candles. I don't know. Yeah. I think there's a lot less stigma these days around shifting and having multiple different careers in a lifetime. Yeah. There's the same emphasis on you get a job and you stay there until you retire yeah that's it so that and I mean even that doesn't sound appealing to me to just (laughs) get the same job and that's it for the next 35 years yeah we won't be able to retire will we yeah no I'll probably have to work till I'm like 75 or something (laughs) enjoy what we're doing yeah exactly um but yeah so that's the plan at the moment (laughs) it's yeah, so I'm still a postdoc, so I still feel like it's a little bit of a pipe dream. But I feel like I've definitely, over the past two years, have felt a lot more confident going into interviews or even just approaching lectureships. You know, I think before I was still quite nervous. I remember I got an interview for a job for a lectureship, maybe it was in 2020. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my fear was, I don't think I could do it if I did get the job because yeah. I didn't. What if I'm and... successful? Yeah. <laughs> <I> found out. <laughs> exactly. Whereas now I feel like I'm at the point where I'm like, yes, I'm ready. I know how to do it. I know I love interacting with students now. Like, I don't feel, you know, as, I guess, maybe not as nervous about it. It just, it's part of the job. Yeah, there's no longer the overwhelming anxiousness surrounding the whole thing and making it, you know, not a nice place to be. Yeah. But it, I there is one thing that I think in your particular coaching journey has been huge that we haven't mentioned. Yeah. And that is asking for what you need. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> explaining a little bit about the number of conversations not the number but the number of times it has come up that you've needed to have a conversation with somebody and actually yeah. express yourself how much of a challenge that was initially and it, how it is for you now 
Yeah, I think that's so funny because I, I definitely use it a lot more <laughs> without even realizing I even practice it at home. <laughs> um, but I think I just had such trouble expressing myself or half the time I wouldn't even realize that I needed to ask for something. It was like it, the thought just wouldn't enter my head. Because was the thought always, I have to do this, or I just have to put up with how it is, or... Yeah, yeah, just very much, like, kind of say yes to everything and not complain and mm-hmm. not... And even if I was, like, overwhelmed and there was things that people could clearly help with, it's like I couldn't ask for that help either. Um. So, yeah, that was probably a huge thing that and probably saying no gracefully (laughs) which yeah I think was a big thing um but yeah the asking for what you need for the first while like yeah just I had to have like the template in front of me um luckily it was like during the pandemic so I could have my little prompt and I would be on a zoom call just being like okay (laughs) all the notes yeah typed out and ready yeah Whereas now it's it's a bit more natural, but I still do struggle with it. Um, yeah. I think... Especially with the seniority, like if it's somebody more senior and you need to negotiate something, it can be a little bit trickier. It can be, but it sounds like it wouldn't stop you now from doing that, whereas before it just yeah. was a no-go. Yeah, and I think before I would be so kind of tense about those conversations that yeah you know I could maybe nearly be on the verge of tears if they did say no so it was like well I'm just not going to face any difficult conversations because to at the time that to me was a difficult conversation to even ask for anything yeah sorry a huge difference and I should say for those people listening these are all, I guess, we would fall under the banner of boundary setting conversations. Yeah. You're being able to say no, set a boundary, reclaim space where we've done done something in the past and now we don't want to do it anymore. Yes. <laughs> Asking for what you need, I think, still falls within that kind of realm of having challenging conversations. Maybe even delegation can feel like a challenge at times because we might think, oh, well, somebody can't do it as well as I can and therefore I'll just have to redo it all myself and therefore it's not even worth doing it in the first place but actually learning how to delegate effectively is a huge leadership skill and sometimes we have to learn how to let go of control in order to let other people learn and grow as well as ourselves it's that stop trying to keep everything closed and actually being being open to that amazing So I wonder if I could ask you, well, first of all, I want to ask two questions, but I want to make sure (laughs) you've had the opportunity to say anything else that you wanted to say about your coaching journey that we may not have covered or missed. Is there anything we haven't talked about that you would like to? Um, No, but maybe just, I think, to recognize that. So I started going to the coaching, but then... I think towards the end of coaching because it went on we was it 12 sessions yeah yeah so so then I had started um 
seen a therapist at, at the same time as well or like later in the journey and I think that really yeah that really helped with some of the mental health aspects and yeah grief and everything that was coming with it and feeling yeah like my body was attacking me yeah. and I, you know and looking back on it now it's like and even certain things like navigating the university like sick leave and things like that like there has to have been more postdocs than me that were ill or you know grieving and yeah it just seems like there's this part of the culture is just to not talk about it or you just get on and do your work and that's it and yeah I think definitely I think all postdocs should have one-to-one coaching and everybody should have a therapist at some point oh agreed absolutely (laughs) agreed I think we all need good therapy and coaching um the distinction there I think is once you do find a safe place to open up Mm -hmm. often you can open up I don't want to say like uh, cans of worms but like boxes within yourself that need dealing with And like you said, you'd had the grief of your mum passing and that's something that you hadn't necessarily dealt with, but it was coming up and it was something emotionally that was causing you to stay stuck. And sometimes coaching can help you move beyond things, but sometimes actually they need digging into further. So being able to um, distinguish between what needs coaching, what needs therapy is really great. But also I think that whether you're doing therapy first or whether you're doing coaching, whatever you come to, you may uncover that you want to do some more work within that as well. And that is also part of whatever the processing is and the journey is as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And I think, yeah, we had, I think for me, it was a bit more complex as well. Um, So my mom had passed away from breast cancer, but Mm -hmm. it was, essentially a medical negligence case um so I was the one kind of taking that part forward so I was also using work as a distraction from that which probably led to me being so overwhelmed so I think having the coaching and therapy had let me kind of release that you know using work as a distraction as well yeah that what do I do and what do I feel if I actually stop yeah and if there's some anxiety around what I might have in that gap yeah I know that there's something under there that's causing and triggering the pushing beyond just wanting to be successful and achieve more yeah that in and of itself may also (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah, there can be some (laughs) emotions and things in the gap when we actually do stop as well um fantastic so I have two questions for you before we finish yes the first one is if you could go back to any point in your history of your life (laughs) and you could whisper a piece of advice in your ear what time of your life would you go to and what would you say to yourself Mm. so I think probably the start of the PhD journey and just say just be yourself and yeah just be a bit fearless 
you know, like just because you do things a different way doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with that. Um, and also I've I've since learned that a few people from my hometown had also been like one girl had been getting a PhD at the same time in Dublin and somebody else from my town had been getting PhD kind of before that. But we only realized later. And I think, yeah, realizing at that point where to find mentors and where to to tap into that knowledge that was probably already there. Mm. We often talk about networks and your next connection, your next job, your next thing is already in the network that you currently have. Yeah. Actually start to look at that and nurture the network. Yeah. And and with Viznet, I think that was the first time I'd even really thought about my network. Oh yeah. All the way back <laughs> at the start. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that was yeah. Cause I think I'd never been strategic or realize that yeah you can reach out to people and ask questions and yeah and it not be a hindrance to other people yes and most people actually enjoy that kind of mentorship role yeah they do um beautiful and my last question that might have two questions within (laughs) is if somebody was about to start um coaching with me what piece of advice would you give to them about that Mm. I would say be open to it um I think I went in pretty open-minded but I know some people that maybe wouldn't have went in as open-minded um but also I think you know some of the tools I was a bit like Oh, I have to do like was it the meditation or the limitation release? Um, yes. And I think my initial thought was like, oh no, I don't want to do this. <laughs> or like feeling, yeah, maybe that was slightly woo-woo, but it's not. <laughs> um, but then feeling the benefit for it. So yeah, I definitely say being open-minded and yeah, trusting the tools and yeah. I think part of it is actually realizing that you want to make a change because you can get really stuck in how you always do things and maybe, yeah, want to be told that you don't need to change that much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. Getting back into integrity with yourself does require you to be open and to want that change. And to at times be uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> sorry, not yes. sorry. Which brings me to the last question, which is recently you have come back into a group coaching format, which is with lots of other members who've done one-to-one coaching, but they like to come together as a group and do some laser coaching. So sometimes you'll come and listen. And often I'm like, I get so much more from listening to other people be coached. And sometimes you might have a challenge and you're like, yes, I need some laser focus coaching today. So why have you come back to group coaching and what are you getting from that? Yeah. So I think part of it was I felt a few of my good habits slipping and it's like, I need some more accountability. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which always helps. But also 
the group coaching is nice in that you know you go in overwhelmed with everything that you're thinking and then you know these other women just share exactly the same stuff and you realize that a lot of it is common issues and realizing as well that you know as they're sharing something and yeah even just like the compassion that you have for them and the advice you would give to them is completely different maybe to the advice you'd give yourself in the same situation so for me it makes me a bit more aware of yeah how I approach my own issues but also there's always something really useful because I'm relate so much to to what's going on yeah everybody else and yeah kind of we all have similar issues that crop up and similar responses sometimes as well Mm. there's always a topic in there for everybody yeah everyone can take something and relate it back to themselves from that topic um I find it so powerful to to have that space and to listen to how you all respond to each other in that coaching as well it's a really beautiful space to be in I get very upset when I (laughs) don't make it and then I have to watch (laughs) the recording like oh damn (laughs) (laughs) next time (laughs) yeah (laughs) but yeah also like just going and listening is also like it's really helpful yeah um yeah it's been really good so I think it's it's helped me bring back in all the good habits as well yeah I mean a huge one for coaching is accountability making sure that what we say and what we actually do happen yeah yeah (laughs) beautiful so I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast thank you so open (laughs) yes maybe too open (laughs) I'm sure people will really appreciate your honesty and um I can't wait to see you on a group coaching call very soon Kara hopefully soon. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Women in STEM Career and Confidence. To get further support in your journey, join me in Breakthrough Unleashed on Facebook.